when you look at the the words that I just mentioned from LinkedIn, you feel that sense of belonging in between the lines and sometimes expressed in even the even the statements. If you say in the mission statement to connect the world's professionals, that's also the people inside LinkedIn. Welcome to Create New Futures, a show about thought-provoking ideas and practices you can use to create and shape your future in life and in business. Join Aviv Shahar, author and innovation strategy consultant, as he shares his proven strategies that have helped clients create breakthrough results. Aviv has guided executives at Fortune 100 companies, and now he wants to help you. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders and entrepreneurs to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Ralph Specht. Ralph is the creator of the Soul System, a framework that aligns value creating employees' action with broader corporate strategy through shared understanding and shared purpose. So we're here to explore this and more from Ralph's journey in business and in life. Ralph, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be on the show. It's my pleasure to be with you tonight. So your questions, what are I like best? Well, I it always gave me the greatest pleasure to see how people that were in my team or in teams inside our company were actually developing their career, that they were capable of doing things they didn't think possible when they were joining the company. And uh, myself and a few others, we had um, a view of if we felt people had it, they should actually do it. And uh, we would give them all the support to actually make it happen. And that's been the greatest joy in, during my career, seeing people develop. So you developed, you founded a company and, and grew that company very much. And we want to circle back to that in a minute. But still at the highest level, what is the big idea that inspires your approach? And that is now the framing idea that you bring to clients? Well, the big idea is that actually, and it's spelled out in my in my vision, which is to make soulless companies a thing of the past. In other words, there's an opportunity that great corporate culture drives great corporate success, and that unity is something that uh, I'm focusing at 100%. Okay, so how would you describe the evolution of this insight? And, and by all means, if for that you need to go back to describe the company you founded, but I'm interested in the evolution of your thinking and that ultimately shapes your approach today. Where is the initiating inaugural insight appearing with you and take me to that moment or situation or experience and please share it. Yeah, so you already mentioned that I was a co-founder of a, of a company. The company was called Spark44. We were five founders. When we got the green light to actually build the company, um, and the green light came from our joint venture partner, which was Jaguar Land Rover, 
back in 2011, we sat down and looked at each other and said, okay, now we're really going to do this. We had a business plan and all of that, but now we're really going to do it. How are we going to do it in detail? Because we had to hire 80 people in a few weeks across the world and so on and so forth. And we built a company that we all felt proud of and that we were certain would have a better corporate culture than many other agencies that we all had worked inside over the past few years. We all were like 20, 25 years in the business. So everybody had seen a few places. And based on that belief, we constructed the organization of the company, built the tools, built the rituals, built the recurring moments that gave people a sense of belonging inside the company. And all of that was pretty much normal for us, like, because we were like, this was what, what was the way we wanted to do it. When I stepped down as CEO, which was like two years ago, and by the end of 2019, I received a flood of emails and messages from all our peers. And these were emails that touched me deeply. And they touched me deeply because they went far beyond what you would normally expect when somebody as a leader steps down and people say, well, it's been great. We've had a great time. And thank you for this and thank you for that. These emails and messages had a different tone because they looked into what we had built together. And I can only emphasize, we built it together. There's not a single person who did it. We've done it together. But the experience that people were sharing with me in these messages were like, these were moments that we hadn't seen anywhere else for people who had been in other companies. And it's been interesting also because when I left, which was 19, I was basically nine years with the company. So during the nine years, you see a lot of people come and go. And you also see people come that for whom it's their first job. And when they decided to leave at one point, because they had reasons to go to another city or anything, very often people told them, well, we wish you good luck for your new position and your new, your new company. You will definitely miss that. Very often, these guys didn't know what they meant because for them, what they had experienced at our places was kind of the normal way of doing things. It was their first job. People who had seen other places knew there's a different life out there. And so let's see what happens. And very often, people came back just for a coffee, popping by and saying, well, you were right. It's different out there. And uh, saying that, I don't want to create an, an an impression that this was a, just a cozy, happy family type of endeavor. No, it was a very driven and a very high-performance culture that we created. But what we did create, which is one of the things that employees are looking for most, is a sense of belonging and a sense of being valued. There's a recent McKinsey study that looks at the key reasons, top three reasons why employees leave these days. Everybody's talking about the great resignation. And those three reasons, not being valued by the organization, not being valued by the manager, and not feeling a sense of belonging. So going back to the instigating moment, you're sitting five of you, and all five of you came from agency work. Correct. And worked in different places. And you have this opportunity, and you've written a business plan before. 
What are some of the core agreements you made at that point in time that shaped the trajectory of uh, Spark 44? Yes. So it was clear from the get-go that we were supposed to be a global company. So we had four founding offices in Los Angeles, in London, in Frankfurt, and in Shanghai. And we all of us had worked in, in multinational organizations. And we had seen the vast infights between offices on uh, this is uh, my piece of revenue and, and this and that the other. And none of us actually enjoyed that. And we said from the get-go, one of the things to ensure that our culture is competitive about the result and not about the money is to actually create a single PL so that there is no benefit to any managing director of any of the offices to actually, in, uh, in inverted commas, steal revenues from another office. Exactly that was one reason. The second reason that helped build that culture was that we initially looked into a constraint. Obviously, we were 80 people, which for a startup is a lot of people to, to start with in the first place. But if you look at 80 people and a global assignment, all of a sudden, it's no, no longer that many people. And there's certain skill sets that you definitely need, but you can't afford to have these skill sets available in all places. So by definition, we organized ourselves as complementary office setups, which allowed us to actually ensure that there was inter-office collaboration big time. There were no silos through the single PNL. And uh, we made, made use of, of technology big time. So when two years ago, everybody said, now the world is using Zoom, we started our company with GoToMeeting back in 2011. It was the most normal thing for us to do. What for you are the most critical formative um, lessons as a CEO trying to hold the company accountable to its higher aspirations? Well, I think you need to be, be very clear about who you are, who you want to be, what your purpose is, what your vision, mission, values, and spirit are. And in my forthcoming book, I've created a framework called the Soul System. It starts with a shared purpose. So you got to understand what your purpose is. But we've all seen it. There's lots of purpose statements around, but not many purpose statements are fully embedded inside the organization. And so embedding that purpose is a real critical, critical element. I mean, there's a study from EY that says that leaders think that only like less than 40% of their staff know the purpose and know where the company is going. So there's a big gap between having a great spelled out purpose statement and the reality in the business. So a shared purpose with shared meaning in the first place, being accepted, bought into by the entire leadership team, but then also shared to the frontline people in the business is critical. Then you got to be clear about your vision, mission, values, and spirit. Spirit to me is a critical element because for me, spirit is the intended corporate culture. What's the spirit we want to see inside our firm? And if you've got all of these four elements clearly explained, then you get into the most critical part, which is the shared behaviors. And for these shared behaviors, you've got to find ways to ensure that uh, people recognize why things are being done the way they are being done 
and understand what is expected from them. So that looks at uh, all things recruitment, that looks at promotions, that looks at how you develop people, how you seek partnerships, how you deal with your customers, the whole ecosystem, basically. So let's take it at the top because, firstly, the idea of shared purpose is, is, has always been very central to my work and to uh, the Create New Futures approach. Uh, one of the first things I say to people is that um, some of the greatest disasters in corporate history, you can find that they've had a lofty purpose statement, but all they've done with it was uh, they followed the, the three P's rule. They, they printed it and posted it on the corporate wall and prayed it'll make a difference, and of course it didn't. Enron is, is one case in point, and there are many others. So this idea of building a shared purpose is important. It's something that, that is central to the work I do with senior leadership teams. What is your insight and discovery about how we cultivate a sense of shared purpose and the way we invite people to live into purpose is something that's much more than words on a poster or a slide, but rather something that they feel is co-owned by them. What, what is your experience in your experience? Um, what enables people to access and, and cultivate that I think there are two areas. One is something that people would probably think is very banal, but I think it's not. It's pretty important. The purpose needs to be clear, right? So the, the best example I've found from companies that A, have got a purpose, and B, have spelled it out, and C, have shared publicly, is LinkedIn. And uh, the LinkedIn purpose goes way back. It's, it's from the early 2000s, so when the company basically got going, the purpose statement says to facilitate professional networking. Okay, There's nothing airy-fairy about it. There's nothing, what, is, what do they mean? It's pretty straightforward, right? So to facilitate professional networking. Then when you get to the vision, there's a lot of meat that gets added to that purpose because the vision says... To create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce okay so there's a clear benefit there's a clear target everybody who's working in some shape or form and it's definitely a global thing it's not just a us or uk or whatever country there are a mission statement then says to connect the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful okay clear end benefit spelled out here. And the values, I think, are a perfect example of how you combine both inward focus and outward focus, right? So they got seven values. They start with a customer-centric one because it says members first. So it's very clear in that organization. You know whatever is happening, if there's something that impacts members, that's where you got to go first before doing anything else. The second one is relationships matter, which is both inside and outside. The third and fourth, basically attitude driven internally, be open, be honest and constructive. And then it gets into the entrepreneurial side of everybody inside the company by saying demand excellence. So don't say yes to everything, just really ask for the best solution. 
take intelligent risks, and lastly, act like an owner. So when you look at all of these statements, you get a very clear picture in your head of the company that is behind these statements. And so that is the first critical element. The second critical element is you've got to institutionalize a lot of things inside mm -hmm. your company so that people recognize things are connected with that vision, with that purpose, with that mission, with the value, so people can feel it. As we all know, you can read a lot, you can listen to a lot of things, but when you experience something, when you're part of it, when you're not just watching it, when you're involved with it, that's when you're learning at your when your learning curve is, is the highest. And therefore you got to institutionalize that. Um, we did that. One colleague of ours in LA had a great idea. He, he created a festival of innovation called Sparkapalooza, which happened twice a year for a week, inviting outside speakers, cultural inspiration, other inspiration, technology inspiration, and also some party elements. So that people always looked at these weeks as the moments when great things would happen inside the agency beyond the normal work. You need these things. But we also had other elements that actually formed the culture big time. So we created a set of evaluations, which is not very fancy, if you, if you like, but it's key because it, it created a situation. Uh, we had these evaluations on a quarterly basis in the, in the beginning and, and later moved to three times a year. It created situations where team managers, office leaders were forced to talk to everybody inside the company. And that dialogue opened up a lot of information to everyone, mm -hmm. both ways, actually. Leaders told, staff told the leaders, and those guys who were smart really connected the dots very quickly within these sessions and very, very quickly had a good idea about what the status of the company was, what the temperature of the office was. And then we did obviously the usual things like, like uh, staff surveys, but also client surveys. And um, very often these things are looked at in isolation, but we looked at them together. So you could see whether a staff survey that suggested that this is the greatest place to be matched with a client voting that this is the greatest place to be or not. So if I re-thread through the, the elements you, you've described there, first, purpose, and you've given the example of LinkedIn, qualifies well to the way I define purpose. Um, my work purpose is defined as our reason for being. It answers the question of why are we here? What's our reason for being? And mission is how we act our purpose, how we bring that purpose to life. And it has that description of the purpose coming to life. And vision is how the world is different as a result of our purpose and mission being actualized. So all these examples from LinkedIn, they all qualify very well. What you're then describing, which is very important, is, is they, these need to be then expressed in clearly codified and observed, observable behaviors such that people can catch each other doing what they intend to do right, comment, coach, and encourage more of those behaviors. So this, I gather from what you're describing, are the different layers 
of what you call the soul system, the soul approach to business? Am I just getting that right? Or what would you add? What else is part of the soul system? Well, I think you've gotten it right. I think what the soul system is at the end of the day is, as the book is called, Building Corporate Soul. So the, the objective is to build a great corporate culture. And to me, corporate soul means the integrity of all of these elements, the purpose, the understanding, and, and the behaviors. Basically walk the talk from why you are here, as you mentioned, as your statement of, uh, of purpose expresses, and make that tangible for everybody inside the firm. Well, I'm going to a little bit be revealing here my, my esoteric training by saying that, <laughs> that in the case of an individual person, we would say that a soul is a spirit-like entity that orchestrates all the aspects of human life. Right. So in that sense, the corporation doesn't have a soul independent of its people. And so the way I internalize what you're offering there, and, and also in my experience, what it really means is that the, the soul in the corporate sense, if, if we can borrow that word, what it means, it is the sum total of the conversations and the actions and the behaviors that creates something that's analogous to the soul and to the degree that, that those represent congruency, fidelity, integrity to purpose and to intent. You'd say, oh, this is an organization that has a soul, and we use the term to suggest that there is a certain collective presence, a collective intent that's available, that's expressing itself in every instance, in every action, in every behavior, in every division of the organization. Yes. Yes, I think that's a wonderful summary. And when the idea of corporate soul emerged in my head, I was looking whether there were other examples where people had already looked at that idea. And there weren't that many. The last one I found was, uh, was a book that was published in 98, so like a good 20 years ago. And it was written by a lawyer. And uh, mm -hmm. that was very interesting because while my book looks at the moments to celebrate corporate soul, his book looked at when soul became a topic in the courtroom. And interestingly enough, the, in the courtroom, it became a topic in the early, earliest 20th century in the US, when mostly railway companies and steel companies were accused of being soulless companies and uh, not doing justice to, uh, to the employees. So the term of a soulless company became a legal term a good hundred years ago. And the term of a company with soul is not really familiar in our language, yet in German, where I'm coming from, there is a saying, he or she is the soul of the company, which means he or she embodies everything the company can be proud of. And as you quite right said, it's the, the soul is the sum of all the individuals in the company. And this is also why my reaction when I'm talking to leaders who tell me, oh boy, we got a great corporate culture. We believe we are a company with soul. My standard response to that, to those statements is, 
Okay, well, glad you think so. It's better you're coming from that end than from the other end. But actually, I'm not really interested in what you think you have. I'm interested in what your people say they have. Because the only people who can really judge this is not the leadership team. The people who can judge this is the employees. And so when I created the Soul Index, which is a performance ranking of companies who do well in terms of their corporate culture, the index is basically based on data that define employee engagement, employee satisfaction, and CEO approval. And then it's complemented with uh, business performance and brand performance data. But, the, but the, the majority weight lies in the employee data. And because I believe they can tell you whether a company has a good corporate culture or not. What is the word for soul in the German language? Seele. And it carries exactly the same meaning and context in the yeah. language and, and the culture as, as the word soul? Yes. Yes, it does. Very interesting. So the other element you started with was the idea of um, a sense of belonging. Where in this map of meaning that you're describing purpose, vision, mission, values, behavior, where specifically do you see that we cultivate the sense of belonging that we recognize is so important for people because one of the underlying actualities of, of this, not just modern, but postmodern environment, especially the last couple of years with the pandemic is, we have a pandemic of loneliness. And actually for many people, they kind of find their sense of belonging in their work environment with their team members. And when people do, they're happy. And you'd have people describe, as you were describing, the sense of uh, the work environment as, as though that, that is a replacement for their family or the family they don't have. Of course, there are others who prefer to have their family and their work family very differently placed in their minds. But this is a long winding way of asking you, what is it you have seen specifically with teams and companies that are truly able to cultivate that sense of belonging? When you look at the, the words that I just mentioned from LinkedIn, you feel that sense of belonging in between the lines and sometimes expressed in even the, even the statements. If you say in the mission statement to connect the world's professionals, that's also the people inside LinkedIn. And when you look at the values, they're very clear about, about that sense of belonging. Act like an owner. You're actually part of us as a management team, no matter where you are inside the firm. So when you're defining those values for any company, I think there is value in looking into whether the expressions you choose allow easily for people to connect and find that sense of belonging because they have, are doing something for a higher purpose, right? So the purpose itself might lean into that, but you, you will do yourself a favor if you express it more clearly in the other elements of mission, vision values as you go ahead. But then I think, as you said, quite rightly by using the word that I was looking for, you need to codify your experiences at work. And you need to do that in a way that feels very genuine. I can give you one example. We had a situation 
with these evaluations that I mentioned, which not everybody liked that much because you had to do it every three months. So it was quite a, quite a bit of a task. And if you had a larger teams, you had quite a job to do. And we had a situation, a very unfortunate situation at one moment when we had uh, one of our colleagues uh, dying because uh, he passed away because of cancer. This guy was in the middle ranks somewhere in our office in Toronto. So not at the high impact places that you would normally think these things are designed. But uh, this was a guy called Larry Uniak in, in Toronto. And Larry was in his late 50s, I would think, if I remember correctly, when he passed away. And so he was one of the seniors in the office. And whenever people questioned these evaluations, he said, let me, the old, the old wise man, tell you this is the best thing that we got here because it allows everybody to share their perspectives on what's happening, where they want to go, develop themselves. And uh, for him, it was one of the best things he had seen in the industry. And uh, in, when he passed away, we asked his wife whether she would be fine with us calling these evaluations moving forward hilarious. So you've got to institutionalize things. You've got to find a way in a human way that people can connect with. And all of a sudden, that kind of formal filling in a, a spreadsheet type of evaluation and having that conversation and getting a score became something very personal because there was a story behind it. So element one is uh, creating forums and, and uh, circumstances for open conversations Perfect. where you can truly express your point of view safely. That's element one in creating a, a sense of belonging. Element two seeing that there is a, a line of sight, a, a, a clear connect between the purpose, mission, and between the, the organization's purpose and mission and vision to the work you do every day such that you are able to see how you are directly impacting the organizational purpose and mission. And in what you're describing, there, there is also a third element, which is a degree of uh, coherence and alignment from personal values to organizational and corporate values. If, if you work in an environment that is totally in conflict to your personal values, it's going to be difficult for you to feel a sense of belonging. I always say you don't have to have 100% overlap, but you want to have some degree of, of important core overlap between the organizational values and your own personal values. If you're a person that's very passionate about beauty and creativity, it'd be smart to work in an environment where beauty is, is appreciated. And the first thing you highlighted is ceremonies, rituals, and other institutional elements that build collective memory and collective significance. So powerful. Why did you decide to leave the company after nine years? I didn't decide to leave the company. Okay. As you know, sometimes there are situations when decisions are being taken and uh, they just happen. That was probably the surprise for everyone when I left and that probably spiked the, um, the messages that I received. Indeed. 
Well, so nine years is, is nevertheless a, a long and an extraordinary uh, ride. So how did you go about harvesting the organizational and corporate experience into a consulting, coaching frame of mind? What, are, what was the transition like for you in terms of you have a unique experience and now you're going to turn it into a body of work? How did you approach that challenge? Well, first of all, as I said, these messages were the moment of inspiration to actually leave something behind that is uh, not just left on my iPhone. And uh, that took me to, to write the book, which took quite some time, as you can imagine, building the framework, creating the framework, and uh, researching also other great companies who have done great things. So the book is all about celebrating great examples in the various areas of the behaviors, codified experiences, but also in the, in the strategic elements of purpose and uh, vision, mission, values, and spirit. And uh, from that, obviously, I was very happy to be accepted by a fast company as the publishing house to publish the book, which is now going to come out in March. And I've been working with uh, two former partners of mine, I called Kevin Allen, who's the owner of EI Games, Emotional Intelligence uh, Games, which is basically leadership simulations. And he's a, he's a great partner, and Neil Cassie from the Cassie Partnership, who deals with organizational behavior activities. And uh, the three of us have been working together on creating a platform and a plan uh, for a coaching and a consulting practice in, along the lines of building corporate software. So one of the, the core messages in what you're describing, Ralph, is to do with reclaiming our humanness in the professional arena, uh, daring again to be humans with each other. And it's curious because that has seen now several cycles over the last three, four decades. And every time there is a crisis, so the financial crisis in 08, 09, all of the lofty intentions get thrown out of the window. Similar thing was, was occurring through the 90s because the early to mid-90s was when appreciative inquiry and coaching started to come into the arena. But then you had the, the early 2000 crisis. So you've had companies really cutting to the, the bone, bones in, in all these spaces. What do you believe is going to make a difference for the voices of sanity that will encourage that business is ultimately about people working with people to create profound breakthroughs. What's going to withstand and enable leaders to hold on to that belief in the face of the next crisis? Very good question. I think the, um, there's a bit of hope, I would think, this time. And the reason I think there is a bit of hope is because there are a number of factors at play. I'd say there is already at least three dynamics that are happening right here, right now, that are critical to this. One, ESG is on top of everybody's minds, right? And when we're talking ESG, there's a lot of focus on the E, uh, environmental sustainability is a critical one. The governance piece is 
more or less a given because it's, it's highly regulated in most places. The S, the society element, which is where the work culture, corporate culture fits right into, is probably the most undervalued. That's, that's the first dynamic. The second dynamic is, I think, the United Nations SDG rules and SDG uh, commandments, I think, are a very powerful motive for companies to look back into it. And then lastly, thirdly, I think the, the statement from the business roundtable in the US back two years ago, moving from, uh, from the shareholder economy to the stakeholder economy, I think is a, is a statement that can't be underestimated in this. Now, having said that, we all know this, as we've been in business for quite a while, intentions are usually good, <laughs> actions are not necessarily always good. So I'm putting high hopes on, uh, on the SEC, because as I understood from the tweet that uh, Gary Gensler put up last summer, he's asked basically his teams to look into all aspects of human capital inside of organizations and the way those are being shared in annual reports or quarter quarterly reports at a much deeper level than they are right here, right now. Now, if that happens, I assume that's going to happen sometime this year, this will have a lasting impact on how companies deal with their human capital, right? I mean, ever since that wonderful statement of people are our biggest assets, which was, I think, of the Xerox um, CEO back in 2003, ever since that statement was made, We've heard it again and again and again and again, but yet there's lots of companies where you don't feel that people are their biggest asset. And so I think we're going to see institutionalized regulations that will help make this be a topic that will not pass away just when the pandemic is gone and the next uh, boom is going to start. My three closing questions. With all that you know, with all the experience that you have gathered, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? The advice that I've, I've given my 27-year-old son is pick your company wisely and make sure you find somebody as your boss who is someone that you have the sense that you can learn a lot from over the next few years and intensify that learning experience as much as you can. If you were to lose all that you know and keep only two ideas or two practices or two capabilities, what would you keep? I believe in people and my belief in the power of strong relationships. That's powerful, belief in people and belief in the power of strong relationships. As we bring this uh, to landing, Ralph, what parting wisdom would you offer to people listening to Create New Futures? I think the, the title of Create New Futures is a great title. Obviously, any future is new, so it's a bit of an oxymoron. But I think it's an important oxymoron because don't be shy, don't be afraid of what, what tomorrow brings. Shape it. Shape it in your own environment. Shape it as much as you can. Shape it for the people around you. And, uh, and go for it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. 
Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.